Well, good morning. Um, again, as Pastor mentioned, just want to give you a couple minutes here. I had a 45-minute presentation with a PowerPoint video and live demonstrations. And he, it. he told me a couple minutes. So, briefly here, again, my name is Ray Spangler. This is my lovely wife, Tammy. Uh, we are up here this morning just to give you a little bit of information about new ministry opportunity we are starting here at Friendship. Uh, you may have heard it referred to in, in other places like college and career, young adults, we're referring to it as the edge. It is a gap that, um, that is, at least in my heart, I feel sometimes that the churches in general miss, and we've seen so much growth here lately in the, the adult Sunday schools we've had the electives. We now have lights started, which is hitting our, 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 our youth, and we want to start hitting that. We want to make sure we don't miss the middle. Um, the post-high school crowd, those people that are heading on into where it becomes really, you know, your faith. It's not your parents' faith. It's your faith, and, and what is it you believe, and why you believe it, and how we apply it to our lives. Just that continued stepping stone growing into adulthood. That's what we're focusing on. So we are just getting this going. Um, right now, we're just starting with uh, just our Sunday mornings. We do have a, a small group down there right now started, but we, again, we wanted to we want to promote this, want to get this out there. We want to hopefully build off of it. For those that are coming, please invite friends. Uh, again, as, as before, you know, we don't turn anybody away, but we just want to let you know what the, that is the focus is going to be on, is this how we apply this to our lives. Um, he wants me to talk, too. You know, Ray and I feel very strongly that um, as a married couple in life, we're a team, and in our ministry, we're, we really enjoy working together. And um, we work very well together in the fact that um, we complement each other and what we can what, what, what we like to do. And this age group for me um, is just very near and dear to my heart. Um, I have been in church most of my life, and it seems to be the age group, you know, where th there is, there's just a middle, and they have a tendency to either drop off the edge and stop going, or um, they just kind of flounder for a while and try to figure out where they, they're supposed to fit in. And um, for me especially, um, it was an age where I was trying to figure out, what do I believe? You know, I have learned this stuff all my life. I know all of the stories. But how do I study my Bible for myself? How do I figure out, you know, everybody says, you know, you make these decisions based on the Lord's will. Well, how do you figure that out? You know, how do you know what the Lord's will is and where do you find that? And so for me especially, it's a very exciting time. Um, I love this age group in the fact that they're just making so many decisions and they're so bombarded with so many different things and so what we would like to see is um, it to just be a, a group whether small whether the Lord chooses to to grow it into something else what we really want to start with is just a foundation of um, people who want to come together who want to learn how to study their Bibles who want to grow in the Lord who want to figure it out for themselves so that they know what they believe and why and we would love to see it grow into activities and um, just places where you know I hate to say safe places where you can go but but places where other believers can get together and, and just have a good time because I think we miss that sometimes you know you can go out and have a good time with good clean fun you can have relationships um, in that area. And so that's something that I would love to see um, grow. And so Ray, we have a tendency, Ray does the primarily the teaching and those sorts of things. Um, I love to disciple young women in um, 
making those decisions and how to be a godly woman and how to be a godly wife. And I'm still figuring it out some for, some for myself, but just to kind of do that. And, and I do a lot of the organization stuff. So, um, but, you know, we, we want to go down there. We want to know what you're struggling with. We want to know where you're at. And we want to meet you there, right at the edge of that, and really help you through that transition of your life. So we can all grow together. That is the role here, isn't it? For all of us to continue to grow in the strength and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And no matter what age bracket we're in, we're all learning, we're all growing. And so let's continue on. And so this will become what the Lord wants it to become. We're here to serve. So let's see what happens. If, you could, if you're not be part of it, pray for us. That that's uh, more help than anyone will ever imagine, right? All right. Well, I'll tell you what, in the past once we read, we're going to be reading in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespass and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thank you, Stranglers. And please do be in prayer for this new venture of our church. You know, most of our adult classes that we have started have been non-age specific. We have made, uh, we've made strides into trying to go toward elective classes, but we have felt that this particular age group would be better served by having something that catered specifically to their age. So if that is something that interests you or you fall into that age group, please don't hesitate to see Ray and Tammy. Uh, if it's not something that interests you, please pray. Or if you know somebody here that, that does fit into that age group and, and you, you think they might need a little you know, shot of encouragement to get them involved, uh, just uh, mention it to them and, and uh, try to encourage them to be a part of that. All right, let's have a word of prayer and we're going to get into our message for this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. And I pray now, Father, that you would help my mind to be focused. I, I feel this is one of those days, Lord, where I feel my brain just going every which way and I pray, Father, today you'd help me to focus in on this which you would have spoken today. And speak to us, speak through me, fill me with your spirit. Uh, help us today, Lord, as we dig a little deeper into this such an important topic. Lord, I know the devil would have us to not concentrate on this today. But I pray you just banish him from this place. And I pray, Lord God, that if there are those here today, and, and there could well be, who really need to think about this particular topic, would you just uh, take every distraction, every... Uh, stumbling block everything out of the way and would you help us to hear today would you help us to receive this message we pray in Jesus name amen we are continuing today to dig a little bit deeper uh, into uh, basically into what we believe into our statement of faith we started this just a few weeks ago and uh, we have so far looked at just a few of the different statements 
that are contained in this document we call the Statement of Faith of Friendship Bible Church. I'm not going to read the whole thing for you again today. It is available for you on our, uh, on our, uh, uh, our church website, and uh, you can go out there and take a look at it. If you don't have access to the church website, it's also available in the foyer in the back in a little booklet called the Membership Guide. Uh, you can get that, and it'll have a copy of our Statement of Faith in there, and I encourage you to read that. Uh, but our goal throughout this series has been to just dig a little bit deeper into that so that everybody here is on the same page. We're doing a little level set here as to what it is that as a church we believe. We spent a little bit of time a couple of weeks ago uh, on the subject of bibliology or what we basically believe about the Bible. And uh, there were some statements in our statement of faith. For example, is one that says we believe in the inspiration, inerrancy, authority, and sufficiency of the scriptures consisting of the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. So we spent a little time on that, learning what we believe there. And then the last couple of times we've met, we've been talking about Christology, or, or more plainly, what we believe about Jesus Christ. And there are several statements in there that we've looked at about that. One of them says, we believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, and that he is both fully God and fully man. And so that's where we've left off. Today, I'd like us to dig a little bit deeper into what we believe about soteriology. You like all these big words? Soteriology, which more plainly means what we believe about the doctrine of salvation. Salvation. And there's several statements we could look at there. If, you're, if you uh, look at our statement of faith, you'll see there are several things. We could, we could look, for example, at this one. We believe in the substitutionary death of Christ and in his literal bodily resurrection from the dead. Or we believe in salvation by grace alone through faith in the finished redemptive work of Christ alone. And that no works of man, however good, need to be or can be added for salvation. Or... We believe in the eternal salvation of all who put their faith in Christ, that all who are truly born again are kept secure by God the Father. So I want to dig into those statements just a little bit this morning. It won't be long, but hopefully it'll be helpful. We had, uh, uh, Ray and Tammy read from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're going to concentrate, though, on verses 8 and 9. Very familiar passage of Scripture. Look at it again if your Bible's still open. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I'd like for us this morning to just kind of break that verse down into three phrases. And as we look at those three phrases, hopefully they'll be helpful to us. The first phrase is, you have been saved. You have been saved. The second phrase is, by grace. And the third phrase is, by faith. Uh, through faith. So let's look at those three right now. You have been saved. Let's think about that phrase first of all. And when I think about that phrase in this verse, it, it, the thing that jumps out at me is it teaches me that there is a need for salvation and there is a provision of salvation. You have been saved. You know, there's a lot of divisions amongst people. Have you ever noticed that? If I were to ask this morning how many of you are Republicans and how many of you are Democrats, I'd probably have a big, huge war break out in the midst of the room, wouldn't I? Because there's all kinds of divisions amongst people. Some are Republicans, some are Democrats. Some people happen to like Facebook. Some people happen to prefer Twitter. Some people say potato. Some people say potato. There's all kinds of divisions amongst people. Uh, in this room, there are probably this morning some, some ardent fans of the Waterloo Vikings. And there are probably some despised fans of the Rootstown Rovers. There are probably some. I happen to like the Cleveland Browns. There may be, I don't know how you would have slipped through the cracks and got in here, but there may be some fans of the Pittsburgh Steelers in here. I don't know. 
But the fact is there are all kinds of divisions amongst people, and it's no different today than it has been down throughout history. Matter of fact, if we read in our Bibles, we see that it was a problem then as well. Paul found himself one time dragged before the council. Do you remember this? We studied in Acts chapter 23. And as he looked around the room, he noticed why this room is made up of Sadducees and Pharisees. And he managed to cause a great rift and a great great uh, uh, brouhaha by simply setting one side against the other. Divisions amongst people. He was speaking with the Corinthians one time in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verses 11. You can read this. He said, now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. The message puts that in a very interesting way. It sounds like he could be talking about today. He says, here's how that, that version translates it. He says, you're all picking sides, going around saying, I'm on Paul's side, or I'm for Apollos, or Peter is my man, or I'm in the Messiah group. Divisions. Well, allow me to describe a division for you this morning, which the Bible says is very, very real. It could be considered, and when I first stated it at first blush, it, it may sound arrogant. It may sound uncaring. But it is nonetheless true. The statement is this. There are only two kinds of people in this world. Saved and lost. Now, if that was just my opinion, it would be arrogant, don't you think? It would be uncaring. But I'm not the one who said it. The Bible is the one who said it. There are only two kinds of people in this world. The saved and the lost. It is the Bible that declares to us that there are not many ways to get to heaven, only one. I know it's popular in our culture today to say we all worship the same God, we're all going to the same place, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there are not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It can't get much clearer. Nobody comes any other way. It's the Bible that declares to us there are not many paths to heaven. Only one. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. There are few who find it. Not many paths. Only one. It's the Bible that declares to us that there are not many saviors. Only one. There is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John said in 1 John chapter 5, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so the first thought that comes to my mind as I think about that phrase that we're considering, you have been saved. The first thought that comes to my mind this morning is that it is describing for us that there is a need for salvation. There is a need. Another thing, though, that it provides, or it describes for us, is that God has provided the means of salvation. You have been saved. Now, there's a statement in our statement of faith that says, we believe in the substitutionary death of Christ and in his literal bodily resurrection from the dead. That substitutionary death, we just talked about it, we just remembered it as we partook of the Lord's table. Uh, that substitutionary death that he died on the cross of Calvary, that's the means of salvation. Faith in the finished redemptive work of Christ alone, that's the means of salvation. You have been saved, tells us that there is, salvation has been provided. Peter said, you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver, it was the precious blood of Christ the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. 
And John said again in 1 John chapter 1, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. So there is a need. And there has been a means of salvation provided. Another thing that I see when I think about that phrase, you have been saved, is that salvation is a present possession of the believer. Salvation is a present possession of the believer. Did you notice it didn't say, you will be saved? I love this about the Bible. It says, you have been saved. Now, I went to Bible college and I learned about this much Greek. I, 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 I might possibly still be able to recite for you the Greek alphabet. I don't know. That, that's about the extent of what I remember. I don't believe that you really need to know Greek in order to study your Bible. I don't believe that at all. I believe that we have such wonderful tools in America today. It's, it's uh, wicked that we do not use them more than we have. But uh, you have a translation of the Bible that is accurate, and you, you don't need to know Greek in order to understand it, and there's no reason that you need to think any differently. However, sometimes, sometimes, you can go back and you can look up a word and see what it said in the original Greek, and there'll be a little nuance of meaning that'll jump out at you. That's really good. It's really good stuff. And this is one of those times. This little phrase here, saved is, is in the Greek uh, what's called a perfect passive participle. Perfect passive participle. Now I know half of you are sitting here saying, you know, I hated that kind of garbage. When I was taking English, I don't want to hear about it in Greek. But I'll just look, bear with me for a minute because it's interesting. It's a perfect passive participle. And that is important because here's what it points to. It points to a completed action with a continuing result. Now think about that for a minute. You have been saved. It is a completed action with a continuing result. That means that there was, there's an aspect of that word that is point in time. You have been saved. A completed action. I would ask everybody in this room this morning, when did that take place? When was that point in time in your life? You might not be able to remember the exact day that you placed your faith in Christ. You may not remember the exact moment in time, but you know there was a point in time. You remember that there was a transaction that took place when you believed. A completed action. You have been saved. But remember that, that perfect passive participle didn't stop there. It said it's a completed action which has a continuing result. And so not only does this tell us that we have the present possession of salvation that took place at that point in the past, it also tells us that it is a continuing possession of the believer. I have been saved. It took place in the past, and it just keeps right on going. It just continues. Continuing possession. So what that tells me is salvation is something that starts at a point in time and continues forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Glory! That's good stuff. It's important stuff. It's stuff that we ought to want to Jump and shout about a little bit. Jameson, Fawcett, Brown, and their commentary translate this as, you are in a saved state. I like that. You're in a saved state. That means that once obtained, salvation cannot be lost. That means that once in a saved state, you cannot be in an unsaved state. You're either one or you're the other. You cannot be unsaved once you are saved. There's other verses that support this same truth. John 5.24 is my favorite those who were in my FBC 101 class, we just discussed this a week or so ago. John 5.24 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. Took place in the past and continues on 
forever. Jesus said in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And so just think about that first little phrase in our text there. Our text is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8. That first little phrase which you have been saved. In that we see that there is a need for salvation, there is a provision for salvation, and there is the present and continuing possession of salvation once obtained. That's the first thing I see. Let's look at the second phrase. The second phrase is by grace. By grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. By grace. Let's just concentrate on that for a minute. Those two little words. In those two little words, I see that this, this salvation that we have just described is wholly and entirely a gift of God. We oftentimes hear grace defined as the unmerited favor of God, and that's as good, I suppose, as we're going to get. It's a gift of God. Think about all the religions of the world. Can you do that? Right now, just in your brain, think about every single religion in the world. It's probably impossible to do, but... Just think about the religions of the world. And I think what you'll find as you think about the religions of the world is that there is a division amongst the religions of the world just like there is a division amongst people that we described a minute ago. The division that you're either saved or you're lost. Well, amongst the religions of the world, there's also a division. There are the religions which teach that salvation has a works component to it. You have got to somehow do something in order to get to heaven. And then there's biblical Christianity, which teaches that it is entirely and holy, and only of grace. That's a great division. And I would suggest to you that just about every, every religion in the world, I think every religion in the world other than biblical Christianity, has some works components. There's something you must do in order to obtain the favor of God. Some, relig some religions, and we've talked about this before, use what we might call the scale of righteousness. I'm going to die someday, and I'm going to stand before God, and God's going to have a big scale there. And he's going to take all my good works and put them on one side. He's going to take all my wickedness and put them on the other side. And as long as that righteousness side is just weighs a little bit more, I'm in. That's the way a lot of people believe. That's the way a lot of people who call themselves Christians believe. I mean, you, 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 can, you can judge yourself on that. You can ask yourself whether or not you're in that camp by, have you, ever, have you ever used the phrase, I'm good enough? I think I'm good enough. I've asked people before, are you on your way to heaven? I've asked people before, do you know if you're, if you're saved, if you've trusted Christ? And so I think I'm good enough. That's where they are, right there. They're trusting in that scale of righteousness. But it's works. It's works. Some religions add certain requirements in addition to faith. For example, we believe that you have to trust Christ. Oh, by the way, you have to be baptized. You absolutely have to be baptized. If you don't have that, you're not going. Some believe you have to observe all the sacraments in order to get there. Doesn't, belief is not enough. You have to add to that. These other, it's all works. Some teach that there are certain things, certain magical formulas that you can do that if you'll do this, doesn't matter what else you've done in life, you're in. And of course, the most famous one we can think of there would be Islam that teaches if you die a martyr, you're going straight. There, it doesn't matter what the rest of your life has been. You're on your way. And so, works versus grace. Our text is clear. Salvation is by grace alone. There's nothing we can do. Titus chapter 3 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Paul said to the Galatians, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. 
So we need salvation. We need salvation for a couple of reasons. We need salvation, number one, because we're a sinner. We're a sinner both by nature and we're a sinner by practice. We're a sinner by nature because the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for the all of sin. We're, uh, our, our nature we inherited from our granddaddy Adam. And we'd like to throw stones at Adam and we'd like to say, Well, that snake, if he hadn't done that, I wouldn't have this rotten sin nature. But the fact is we're not just... Sinners by nature, we're also sinners by practice. John said in First John chapter 1, he said, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we'd been there in the Garden of Eden, we would have done the same thing he did. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by practice. And as a sinner, we simply cannot do enough to earn it. There's nothing we can do. Our very best is not good enough. I read one time of a man who was traveling down the road. And as he was traveling, he's riding on a donkey. As he was traveling down the road on his donkey, he noticed this little fluffy thing in the road. So he stopped, jumped off of his donkey and looked at it. And here it was a sparrow. It was laying flat out on its back with its legs pointing straight up at the sky. And he thought, well, poor little sparrow. And he's dead. Something's happened to the poor little sparrow. And he's looking at it. Just about the time the sparrow opened his eyes and looked at him. And he's, the man said to the sparrow, which I find amusing, the man said to the sparrow, what are you, what are you doing? And the sparrow said, well, I heard a rumor that the sky was falling so I'm trying to hold it up and the man looked at him he just laughed out loud he says you gotta be kidding me you think you're gonna hold the sky up with those two scrawny little legs of yours the sparrow looked at him and said with this offended voice one does the best one can we are much like the sparrow no matter how hard we try we cannot do enough we might want to think if the sky's falling, we could hold our hands up and it would hold it up, but it isn't going to happen. And the fact is, there's not a thing we can do to change the fact that we are sinners. That's why we believe that all men are sinners by nature and in conduct and cannot save themselves. That's why we believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith in the finished redemptive work of Christ alone, and that no works of man, however good, need to be or can be added for salvation. This is such an important point. It's all of grace. None of it is of us. Last phrase and I'm done. You have been saved by grace through faith. Let's look at that last part. Through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Our part is simply to believe in Jesus and trust in his finished work. Robinson's New Testament word picture says grace is God's part, faith is ours. Grace describes what God did for us. Faith describes what he wants from us. We just simply need to believe. Acts 16.31, they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.18, he that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 3.36, he that believes on the Son has everlasting life. He that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Through faith through faith. Well, I'm done. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let's sum it up. Just sum it up. There are not many ways to get to heaven. There's only one. There are not many paths. There's only one. There are not many saviors. There's only 
one. And so I encourage you this morning, examine yourself. Examine yourself, whether or not, as the Bible says, you be in the faith. Examine yourself. Are you trusting in Jesus alone? Or are you? Are you trusting? That one of these days, that scale is going to be weighted more on the good side than on the bad, and you're going to slip in that way. What are you trusting in? Are you in a saved state? John W. Peterson said it like this. He said, born of the Spirit with life from above into God's family divine. Justified fully through Calvary's love. Oh, what a standing is mine. And the transaction so quickly was made when as a sinner I came. Took of the offer of grace he did proffer. He saved me. Oh, praise his dear name. Has that happened to you? Here's the greatest news you will ever hear. I guarantee you it. This is the greatest news you will ever hear. It can happen to you if it hasn't. It can happen right now, today, if you will simply put your faith in Jesus. Would you do that today? Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I know that much of our congregation today is his family. Much of our congregation today are folks who have been with us for a long time. And Lord, I know that most of them, maybe all of them, I don't know, have placed their faith and trust in you. And yet, Father, one never knows whether or not there is somebody here who has not done that. Uh, we can never be certain. And so, Father, uh, even though this may have been reviewed for some, I pray that if there's even one, one person, young or old, one person who's been in church or not, one person who, for whatever reason, has never trusted Christ, maybe they were raised in church, maybe they've been to church all their life, and yet they can't remember a time when they ever took of the offer of grace that you proffer. I pray they do it today. And I pray, Father, every believer in this room would pray toward that end. And I pray, Father, if there's even one today who needs to trust Christ, they'd do it. And I pray it in Jesus' name.